Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Amen. Hey, I'd like to read uh, the portion of Scripture that I'm going to be preaching off of today. We're going to read the story of of Jesus coming into the world in Matthew chapter 2. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. That's what we're doing today. We've come here in this place, in this time, to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the only one who's worthy of your adoration, only worthy of your speech, worthy of your mind, worthy of your heart, worthy of your life. You are never too far away from a God that came to earth to rescue you. He crossed the galaxy to rescue you. Some people will say, well, I'm a long way off. Well, you are not as far as the distance between heaven and earth. And yet he crossed that distance changed dimensions. God put on human flesh. God became man so that you and I could be sons and daughters of God. He came for you. That's why we worship him in spirit and in truth with everything that we are. We don't want to worship through tradition. We don't want to worship through what's usual. I pray we have a fresh worship, fresh worship in this church. Now when Herod, the king, Heard this, their desire to worship. It's the desire to worship that gets the enemy scared. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, For for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them the time exactly that the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying this, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it went out, it rose And went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. By another way. Today, I want to talk to you about God's plan for life and light in your life. And specifically, I want to talk about how God's plan for light and life supersedes the plan of the enemy, which is darkness and death. God's plan is light and life, and it supersedes the plan of the enemy, which is darkness and death. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. We agree with that statement. We receive that statement. We walk in that statement. His plan for us is light and life, not darkness and death. I don't have to agree with that. I don't have to live in it. I don't have to declare it. 
and I don't have to accept it over my life any longer because Jesus has come. And when he came, he brought light and he brought life. Can you say amen? And this is why we've been spending the last few weeks on the Christmas story is because what it represents is immense. It's immeasurable. It is a, as we've been saying, it is a cosmic story that collides with regular people for the rescue of the whole world. This is a universal story. You know, sometimes I think the problem when we get into these stories and, is that in trying to teach the Bible stories to kids, if we're not careful, we can think of them as kids' stories. And I really feel like it's the calling of, of my life and my preaching and communication. I, I really even believe in the calling of this church to show the reality of these stories, the reality of the characters and the people and, and the circumstances and the places and God working in them, that these are really incredible stories that have great representation and, 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 and have, have great application in our lives today. And so even when we tell the Christmas story, a lot of times we view it as, you know, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we could view it as a kid's story or a myth or a legend or, you know, something we sing about and we just want to hear once a year, sweet baby Jesus, you know. But it's so much more than that. It really is. So much more than that. And there's parts of this story that you have to tell because you got to understand the fullness of this story. You know, like my, my, my kid was, uh, he was in a, um, a play, a Christmas play at his school, and, and they, they had him be an angel. You know, and they lined all the angels up, but they're all wearing halos. So we couldn't see our kid. We just saw, you know, we saw a halo and that was it, you know, which I think, you know, was a waste of three hours. But, you know, it's whatever. Uh, you know, so, so they, 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 they got, you know, they got the shepherds and the wise men and they, they do the whole story out of Luke chapter two and and to sing the songs and all that it was great. Just just like we did today. It was great. One kid was the star, you know, the star of Bethlehem. And he's just sitting there all floppy armed in the star. You know, and of course, every parent thought their kid should be the star, or Jesus, I'm not sure which, but uh, it, was, uh, it was so funny to me that, uh, you know, we, they tell the whole story, but we never, we never have a kid be Herod. Have you ever noticed that? We always, we always kind of scoop around that side of the story. We're not going to make a kid be Herod, you know, the megalomaniac, the, the, the genocidal psycho, you know? It's like, who, who do you, who do you, you can't say, Hunter, you're going to be Herod because, you know, you stole that kid's snack earlier, so obviously... You got those traits in you? Of course not. <laughs> and sometimes we skirt around that story, but see, you got you to understand the whole story to see what God's doing. And it's interesting that when Jesus came, there was a reaction of the enemy. When light came, there was a reaction of darkness. And, and today I want to talk you through this story so you can see what this means in your life. And when Jesus arrived, when he was born on that Christmas night, God put a signifier in the sky of a star. His birth brought life. His birth brings light. This is what God is trying to show is, it's amazing. God, God he, he, he's trying to show us the magnitude of this moment. And so in doing that, when Jesus is born, God gives a signal in the universe of light. And as amazing and immense as that is, that was just a temporary light. 
where that star is there and then it's gone. Just like every other star is there, but one day will burn out. But Jesus is the great morning star whose light will never wither, his light will never fade, that when we get into heaven, he is all the light that we will ever need. He is the true light. This light was just a signifier that the true light has arrived. It's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a big deal, such a big deal. God gives a universal sign because a universal happening is going on. It's a sign in the stars of the heavens. And what's amazing is this was actually, um, this was, it's connected to Genesis. The past few weeks, I've been showing you how this story is connected to Genesis. When Jesus came, he came to regenerate humanity, regenesis humanity. And so I keep going back to Genesis to show you how ancient this story is. And it's interesting that God chooses to put a star in the heavens. Why? Well, we find our answer six verses, six verses into the Bible story. Genesis chapter one, verse six says this. It says, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. God put the sun, the moon, and the stars in the heavens so that we could have a sign and a season. A sign for a season. A sign for a season. The star was a sign for a new season. Behold, the old is gone, but the new has come. When Jesus came, a new season came with him. No longer are we in darkness. Now we're in the season of light. No longer are we in the season of law that we could never measure up to. Now we're in the season of grace. Come on, how many thank God we live in a season of grace and mercy. We're no longer in a season of death, but now we are in a season of life. This star, God put this, God created the stars in the heavens for this moment right here. That he's gonna put a signifier and anyone that was watching would be able to ascertain, hey, something is different in the heavens, which means there's something different on earth. God says, you know, let it be so on earth as it is in heaven. There's a connection there. And so God puts this star to signify the true light. Jesus has come into the world. And, 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 and this signifier wasn't just for chosen few people. It wasn't, just, it, wasn't just, it wasn't just for those that had eyes to see. The reality is, God put such an immense sign because it was for the whole world. I'm telling you, this is the good news of the gospel. And it started the moment Jesus was born. Is the light is not just for a few. It's not just for the chosen. It's just not just for the called out. It is for all the world. For God so loved the world. Not just your grandma, not just when you did good, not just your friends, not just, not just people that are more religious than you, not people that just went to church more than you. God gave the sign for everyone, everyone. The whole world was able to look up and say something's different now. Something is universally different now for you and for me. Isaiah the prophet, he saw this coming and he prophesied many years before saying this, the people who were walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawn. I'm here to tell you today that because of Jesus Christ, you now have the opportunity. You now have the privilege. You now have the choice to walk in the light. 
Listen, you no longer have to dwell in darkness. You no longer have to stumble around in darkness. You can now receive the light of Jesus Christ in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Listen, when the enemy tries to come in and say it's over, you failed, this is where you live now. You live in terror, you live in panic, you live in fear, you live in the unknown, you live in darkness. I'm here to tell you, Jesus, Jesus, his arrival came to say otherwise. There is a universal light now. I can now walk different. I can speak different. I can think different. I can live different. I now get to live in the light. Listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you it is a lie that there's only darkness over your life. It is a lie from the pit of hell that there is only decay and corruption and pain over your life. When Jesus came, he came to bring not just light. John 1 says the light of life. He came to bring light and life. And that life doesn't just mean living. I pray you have life in your mind. I pray you have life in your mortal body. I pray you have life in your imagination. I pray you have life in your relationships, not death, not disconnection, not divorce. I pray you have life in the name of Jesus. I pray your kids have life in the name of Jesus. When we were praying over Robin's body, we were praying life, 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 abundant, over the top, spilling over, life in the name of Jesus. The light brings life. And John says this. He says, the true light, the true light that gives light to everyone, not just a few, was coming into the world. And the wise men, they saw that light. The wise men, they were searching to understand who they were. And I know there's a lot of different distinctions about the wise men and who exactly are these guys and and how many were there. There were how many wise men? We don't know. They brought three gifts. We don't know how many there were. So your nativity sets might be wrong. I hate to tell you this. <laughs> Who they were, were they were, they were magi. They were astronomers. They were people that understood the times and the seasons coming from the east. And, and, um, and they were literally like a, a priestly class from, from another place. I guess what's significant about them is they, they weren't Jewish, they were Gentiles, which is you and I. And, and right at the very beginning, God says, by the way, the light is not just for the chosen, it's for all people. The light signifies now that the world is chosen. You are chosen by the Most High God. And they were searching for the light because when you're living in darkness for a long time, you begin to look for a sign for a new season. You begin to look for a light. You're going to go anywhere. They packed up their bags. They got their camels. They brought their possessions. They got their money. They traveled in a huge car in search of the light they didn't even know where the light was going to bring them but they said anywhere is better than here anyone is better than this I'm waiting for salvation and I'll go wherever it's going to be and at this time the whole world was anticipating a universal savior that was to come and God gave a star so those who were searching could follow that star listen the bible says the psalmist says that 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 the whole earth declares the glory of God. The whole earth shows his handiwork. It says day after day, month after month, it speaks without using a word. The trees, the rivers, the oceans, the waves, the lights, the clouds, all of it is saying something made us, something is above you, something designed you, something has a purpose for you. You are not alone. 
You do have a reason to be here. Find me. The whole earth is saying, find me. And so the wise men, they were searching and they saw a star that said, come find me. So they began to follow. Listen, finding Jesus is a journey. And you might say, well, I don't know, I don't know if I'm there yet. Can I, can I challenge you? Take the first step. The fact that you're here today, you're taking a step. You say, oh, I'm only here to see my granddaughter. Ah, no, 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 no. God gave you that granddaughter to help you take a first step. Look towards the light. Look towards the light. And even if the journey takes a while, God is okay with this. He sets the light, say, keep walking. Come on, ask more questions. Come on, investigate. It's not good enough to live in this world and never figure out who made it. It's not good enough to live in this world and never figure out why you are in this world. What's your reason for existence? You're not just here to stumble around in darkness, then die. You are here to live a life that matters, that has purpose. You have a calling. You were brought here on purpose. There is a light that God has given to God. And just as there was a light for the, just as the star was a light for the wise men, we have the true, as John said, and greater light, who is Jesus Christ. What did he say? I am the light of the world. So now, now when we walk, the star we follow has a name. And his name is Jesus Christ, the morning star. I'm walking towards you. I wanna live like you. I wanna speak like you. I wanna dream like you. I wanna hope like you. Now, I follow the true light in Jesus Christ, and I let the light come into my life because I don't want any darkness in me. I want the light to shine in and through my life. The wise men, they saw the star, and they calculated that this is something special. This is something real. And so they began to follow the star towards Bethlehem. But along the way, they came to the city of Jerusalem, and this is where they stop because, come on, you would assume that if the king of kings is coming, he's going to be born in Jerusalem, the great and mighty city. Jerusalem has exchanged uh, hands over 44 different times since it, it was created. 44 different people have ruled, uh, 44 different nations have ruled over Jerusalem. It is one of the, one of the, the, the most fought over pieces of land in all the world. And so, and so there's just something special and significant about Jerusalem. And the wise men thought, this is where he's going to be. This is where the king is, is obviously going to be born. And they walk into the city. Ironically, Jerusalem's not that big of a city. So when they arrived, everyone would have known something's up. Something's happening. Rulers from a faraway land have shown up. But more than that, they started asking, hey, where's the king? Where's the king of the Jews? In fact, their exact phrase is, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? That interesting phrasing, who was born king. In all of history, no one else has ever been born a king. You're born a prince, and then you're ordained by man and become a king. But see, Jesus, Jesus wasn't ordained by any man. He was God all by himself. He was born the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He was born a king. And their search, their search brought them to ask lots of different people until King Herod heard the noise, heard what was up, heard that the city was restless. And the word got to him that, that these wise men, these priests from a far off land, were, uh, were searching for the king. And, and here's the problem. Herod, I don't know if you've got this part, he thought he was the king of the Jews. 
So Herod was pretty sure. He has castles everywhere, fortresses. He's saying, I'm the king. And these people showed up and said, no, 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 someone was just born the king of the Jews. And the Bible says that Herod was greatly troubled. And all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Herod was troubled. And all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Here's what you got to know about Herod. Herod was not a good guy. He was not a righteous king. You know, see, always when I was reading the story, growing up, I always thought, like, what's the big deal, man? Like, you're Jewish, so you're waiting for the Jewish king. Like, you would have obviously given over that, that throne for the Messiah, right? Why, why is he so angry about this? But see, when you get to know Herod, you begin to understand his reaction. Herod was truly an evil man, given over to evil things. Herod wasn't even actually Jewish. He was the king of the Jews, but he wasn't Jewish, which means he was never going to be accepted by the people. He was a puppet of Rome, which means he literally only had power because someone else who conquered them said he could have power. It's amazing when Jesus says, you have no power over me except that which I allow you to have. Jesus really did have the power. Herod was just a puppet. Man, that's good. That's, that's, that's really good right there. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet that later. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not on Twitter. It's evil. But next. No, come on. It's amazing. It's amazing to see the juxtaposition. Herod wasn't of the lineage of David, and they knew in Israel that the king is supposed to be of the lineage of David, and Herod isn't. And so Herod knows this himself. So what it kind of created in Herod was this desire to own the throne, and he ruled for 40 years. They called him Herod the Great because of what he built he built structures and fortresses and temples. He built all this stuff. In fact, if you go to Israel today, most of the ruins that you would see were built by Herod. He was trying to prove his kingship. He was trying to prove to Israel that he was worthy of the throne. And so when he hears that someone else was born the king, he's nervous. He's troubled. He, he, he was so paranoid about his throne that he kill, ended up killing his own wife. He ended up killing his wife's mother, and he killed three of his own sons, including his oldest son, all so that they wouldn't take any power away from him. So, of course, he's troubled because the king has arrived. And, of course, Jerusalem is troubled because they know what happens when Herod is troubled. He killed so many of them. He's a brutal dictator. And so now everyone's nervous. What's interesting is this was supposed to be the news that they were all waiting for. This was supposed to be the greatest news that humanity has ever heard in all of history. And yet the first people to hear it are all nervous and fearful. Let me tell you, that's, that's how the enemy works. He tries to take a thing that's good, might I even say God, he tries to, he tries to pervert it, he tries to twist it and make you fearful through it and buy it. He, he, he tries to twist good things, God things, to make you fearful and paranoid and nervous. But that is how the enemy works. The enemy works through fear, but God works through freedom. Come on, God works through faith. He works through faith. Now, I, I say this to say fear is, not, fear is not a product of the good news. So when you begin to feel fear, you must quote over yourself, God has not given me a spirit of fear. Come on, he's given me a, a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. 
I'm not going to have a nervous, agitated mind. Herod didn't have a sound mind. He had a mind filled with paranoia, filled with destruction, filled with, with, with uh, 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 grudges. That's the work of the enemy. But, but the Holy Spirit, he can give me a renewed mind, a regenerated mind, a mind that's filled with love, that's filled with peace. Come on, that's filled with patience, that's filled with kindness. I need to know this is what's happening. I need to know this because make no mistake, God's good news isn't just for them, it's for you. And the enemy's going to try and come in and steal the seed of that good news from you. Steal the seed of salvation, justification, sanctification, forgiveness. But you need to continue to come over here in faith and say, no, God is for me. He's not against me. Jesus came for me. Jesus came to deliver me. He is my king. And this other thing has no authority. Herod was an illegitimate king. Make no mistake, the enemy is an illegitimate king. He has no authority. His throne is propped up by fear. And when you give in to that, that's the only thing that gives him authority. But when you come over here to Christ, Christ doesn't rule by fear. He rules by forgiveness and freedom. Liberty sets the captives free. That's Jesus. The wise men thought, thought Jerusalem was going to be pumped about this. These are the Jews that would be looking for the Messiah, right? These are the ones that would be concerned about the coming king, right? And yet, when they're asking, everyone's starting to get nervous and troubled and frustrated. And, and, and now Herod calls them in and says, where did you come from? Tell me about the star. How long ago did it appear? Starts asking them a bunch of questions. Have you ever, um, have you ever told someone what you thought was going to be good news, but then they didn't take it as good news? Have you ever been there? And it starts getting awkward, you know, and you're trying to be like, right? You're trying to get like agreement going like, no, this is, this is good, right? And what do they always start doing? They start asking really specific questions. Well, tell me what happened. What did they say? What did they say on the phone? Tell me the words. What time was this call? What time was this call? Huh? What number did they call from? Was it an outside area code? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. Start not knowing anything. What? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just here, you know. Starts getting awkward. You know that terribly awkward feeling? Oh, man. Am I the only one? You're like, no. No, my life's great. You know, it's like, and then you start trying to just tell them whatever you want to hear. Like, no, no, tell me what to say. I'll just say it. I'll just, you tell me. Write it down. Slip the piece of paper. Yes. You know, that's what's happening here. That's what's happening here. It is the wise men can tell something else is going on. Something else is up. Something else is going on. Herod calls. He calls his counselors. He calls the chief priests. calls all the religious people. And he gets them together and says, hey, where's the Messiah supposed to come from? And they said, Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem means? It means the place of bread. The place of bread. Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And when you eat from me, you're never, ever going to be hungry again. He's talking about a soul hunger. He's saying, I'm the thing that will satisfy what you've been looking for. The place of bread, manna that came down from heaven. Bethlehem. By the way, that's, that's where David was from. And they say this prophecy is that the Messiah... The, the one that's going to sit on David's throne. You know the one, Herod, that you're sitting on and you know you shouldn't be sitting on? The one who's going to sit on David's throne comes from Bethlehem. And so, so, so Herod says to the wise men, hey, will you, will you go and, and find this child and then report back to me and, and just let me know where he's at and what's going on and, you know, and, and then I'm going to come and I'm going to worship him. Manipulation. See, that's the mode of the enemy is the mode of Manipulation. The, the enemy tries to come in and say, look, look, hey, you can go to church. Come on. You can be, you can be a good guy. Go ahead. Go. But the enemy says, but just check back. Just, just, just check. Just keep me in the loop. Come on, keep the old life in the loop. Come on, keep the old friends in the loop. 
Hey, keep the old habits in the loop. You don't have to leave them behind. Just let me know. Come on, I'm good with God. But you know something's up with that. That's the old me. See, here's the thing. Herod's plan, his plan was death and destruction. Death and destruction. But he doesn't start there, does he? He starts with manipulation. Subtly moving you away from the light. Hey, if you find the light, that's good, but just come back this way. Hey, if you find the king, that's good, but then just come back to, to I'm a king too, don't forget. I'm a prince too, don't forget. Come, come back to me. The enemy tries to say, look, it's all right if you go out there. Go ahead, pray. Go Sunday, maybe two Sundays, maybe four a year. But just keep coming back to this old lifestyle and this old way of living and, and this old way of thinking, this old way of talking. Just kind of keep me in the loop. You can tell it's quiet because you're all getting convicted. It's okay. Interesting. I want to tell you this because a lot of times we think Satan is just a big dummy with a nuclear bomb where it's like everything horrible in our life is Satan. But make no mistake, he has other tools as well. And what he tries to do is manipulate you away from salvation. Manipulate you away from the very thing that's going to save you. Manipulate you away from light back into the old path of darkness. If he really wanted to know where the king was, he would have searched. Come on, these guys are hundreds of miles away. You can look in the sky too, bro. Come on, you got all the books and the words and the, you got the writers and the scholars. You even knew it was Bethlehem. You didn't even need this star. You didn't even need this star because the word is a lamp unto my feet. That even if I don't have a sign, I got the word. Man, so many of us are looking for signs. Like, God, give me a sign on TV. Give me a sign. I turned on Caleb. They read a psalm. That's my sign. There it is. They said five, five, five. Grace, grace, grace. Signs are great. The word is better. The word is better. The word illuminates the step forward. The word illuminates the step forward, which leads to Bethlehem. Bethlehem turns out it's only six miles away. Can you believe that? Six miles away. When I was in Israel with my wife, we were, we were kind of coming to the end of our trip, and we weren't sure if we were going to go to Bethlehem or not. We, we, I don't know. We were kind of going back and forth, and, and, uh, and our driver, he really wanted to go to Bethlehem. He, come on, let's go. I guess he had friends over there. He wanted to go get coffee with them. You know, I found that out later. And, uh, and, and so he's, like, really pushing us. I was like, all right, let's go to Bethlehem. He's like, all right. He turned left. We went four lights, and then he's like, here we are. I was like, that's it? I thought, you know, I was ready for the journey, you know? I was thinking, like, Mary and the donkey, and, like, we were going to see some stuff. I was looking for, to be, I wanted to see some shepherds, like one sheep. I wanted one sheep. We're in Bethlehem. <laughs> Nothing. It was like, here it is, you know? It's so close. Six miles away. It's amazing how close you can be to God. Still miss him. It's amazing how you could be right in the proximity of the Savior, but never see him. Never have a revelation of him. What was the difference? Someone came from hundreds of miles away, won six miles, and yet they got closer to the Savior than the ones who knew better and were really close from the beginning. You see, religion, religion, the religious elite, dead religion, it's okay with just doing the church stuff. It's okay with just going through the motions. It's okay, hey, we got the temple, we got priests, you're good, I'm good. You got money, you're wealthy, I'm wealthy, we're good. But see, Jesus, he came for the radical. He came for the people. He came for those that were searching. He came for the shepherds. He came for the, the magi. He came for those a long way off. If you're good, Jesus says, look, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do, and sick people are looking for anyone that can help. 
And these people, they, they had fallen into the complacency that comes from dead religion. They weren't looking anymore. They weren't hoping anymore. They weren't praying big prayers anymore. Be careful when Christianity becomes the mundane in your life. That's why David says, look, create me, God, a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I need this thing to be fresh. Come on, I don't just need to be awakened once. I need to be awakened every day. I need my soul to be filled every day. Come on, I need change in my mind. I need change in my patterns. I need change in my heart. Come on, you need change all over you. I don't want to fall into, I don't want to fall into spiritual blindness. Look, it's good to come to church, but church doesn't save you. It's good to be good, but good works don't save you. They can only get you close to God, but they can never cross that bridge to God. You need a revelation of the light of Jesus Christ. You need to say, Jesus, I'm not enough without you. It's such a simple prayer to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I can't cross that plane. I can't get to you, but God, you came to me. I receive you. Forgive me. That one prayer brings you from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. When the wise men arrived, they saw Jesus and Mary as a child. And what did they do? They fell down and they began to worship the child Jesus before he ever spoke a parable, before he ever did a healing, before he ever announced himself. Yes, even before the cross, Jesus was worthy of worship because he was born king. We don't just worship him because of what he's done. We worship him because of who he is. The child receives their worship. They take out their gifts. They fall on the floor and then take out their gifts. It's interesting. This is just a picture of worship, by the way. Sometimes you have to search out Jesus when you worship. I don't want to get too much into that, but if you pray once and you don't hear anything, pray again. Jesus says, ask Seek, knock. If you ask and you don't find anywhere, start looking. Start searching. Start traveling. If you still don't find it, start knocking on doors. Where are you, Holy Spirit? Where are you, God? Lord, I need a miracle. I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray. There's about 30 biblical illustrations that, that just came into my mind right there. It's all throughout the Bible where people had to ask and ask again. Elijah, Elijah he had to pray and pray and pray and pray until water came on the land. Samuel's mother, she had to pray and pray and pray and pray until God gave her a child. Sometimes you have to ask, seek, knock. You have to search. You have to push. You have to press. You have to look. Sometimes one time isn't enough. I know some people, they, can't, they come to church multiple services. And I'm like, I'm preaching the same sermon. Nothing's changed. Like, it's not about you, bro. I'm looking for Jesus. I need more Holy Spirit. I need more. I need more worship. I'm with you. Sometimes it takes a little bit more. Pressing. Hey, in, in two weeks, we're going to start our year off with 21 days of prayer and fasting. What is that? It's asking. It's seeking. It's knocking. I'm going I'm to abstain from some things so that I can pursue the more important things. And they fell before Jesus, and they began to worship him. They worshiped him with their body. Sometimes when you raise your hands, you lift your voice. Come on, this is how you worship. They brought gifts. You see, the spirit of generosity, they brought gold, which is kingly, frankincense, which is what you bring before priests, and myrrh, which is what you wrap a, a dead body in. And even in their worship, they were worshiping him as king and as the priest that would make a way. And through his death, we, we receive brand new life. This is our worship. What happened? When they were finished worshiping Jesus, they went to go back to Herod, back the old way, to the old king. But an angel appears and says, not that way. Let me tell you, when you have a revelation of Jesus, 
when you have an experience with Jesus. I'm not just talking about dead religion. I'm talking about Jesus. You can't go back the old way. You can't go back to where you used to be. You can't go live where you came from. You got to go home by a different way. He makes all things new, and that includes the way I walk. He includes the way I live. His word becomes a lamp into my feet. In other words, I don't need to ask anyone else anymore where Jesus is. I got the light. I got the light now. And now the word begins to direct me and guide me and lead me. The angel shows up and says, now you're going to walk a different path. I'm here to declare to you today, if you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you are now walking a different path. Can I challenge you, do not go back to the old ways. Now listen, even, even a righteous person stumbles and falls, but get back up and keep walking the path of Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of glory. He is worthy of your life, and he will lead you to the right places at the right time. Come on, can you thank God? Can you give him praise for what he did that he came that he revealed himself, that he vanquished darkness, and yes, he brings brand new life to you. We are walking, walking a new path. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.